Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today we venture back into found footage horror, which we dip into quite a bit because there's quite a bit out there. Yep. Especially back in the early 2000s. And the film that we're doing today is from 2008. And it was a request by Alec. Probably a very, I think it's a very long-standing request. I don't put dates on the requests that we get, but um, we put them on our list in order of reception. And this one was pretty high, (laughs) pretty early on the list. Yeah. So, Alec, if you are still listening to us after all these years, congratulations. We finally got around to 2008's home movie. And thank you for directing us to it, because I wouldn't have really found this movie otherwise. Well, I'm sorry, I say that. And I think I've seen it on a list or two for creepy kids films. Mm. And so that was what I think more recently made me go back and kind of look at our list and go, hmm, creepy kid movie. We haven't done that in a while. Oh, here is home movie. And the little write up in the list that I saw made it sound like it was pretty darn cool. And then uh, you, independently of me, also said, hey, I'm, I'm really kind of interested in doing this movie as well. And so we thought we would do that this week. Yep. IFC picked it up. It did a film festival circuit. IFC picked it up as a sort of a direct pay, like a streaming type service on their IFC films thing. And then, of course, it went to DVD. And I do not believe it's easily available even out there on streaming services. You weren't really Mm -hmm. able to find it in many places, were you, Craig? Anywhere. I go to... I don't know. There's there's some website that I go to that you can just type in a title and it will tell you everywhere that it's streaming for free, everywhere that you can pay for it, and uh, I I couldn't find this streaming anywhere at all. Crazy, right? You just yeah. imagine pretty much everything's available, but kids, right. it's not the case. <laughs> um, how about you? Had you even heard of this before, Craig? What what kind of clued you into to doing this one this week? Uh, well, just because it had been so high on the list for so long, but also because I had seen it. Oh. And I must have seen it, gosh, I don't know. I have no idea when. A long time ago. Probably on DVD. Uh, maybe, but it had been so long that I, I remembered the basic premise and I remembered it being disturbing. And that's kind of all... I remembered, so I genuinely was interested in watching it again. I'll be really interested interested to hear what you thought of it because, hmm, hmm. It's, it's a head scratcher. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I I did also come away with it with mixed feelings, and not because it was found footage. You know, I think I'm far beyond my original. Uh, I would say just short of disdain for found footage movies since being disappointed by the Blair Witch Project so many years ago. Since we've done so many found footage movies on this podcast, pretty much at Craig's request, I have warmed up to the genre because we've seen some good ones. We have. We've seen some stinkers too, but we have seen some good ones. It's true. I mean, sometimes found footage is just a way to shoot a movie cheaply, but it doesn't necessarily mean the idea lends itself well to that. And we've seen a couple movies like that. This is Christopher Denham. Christopher Denham is uh, is an actor and also writer and and a bit of a producer, but he's been in a lot of big movies. Mm-hmm. Argo, <laughs> Shutter Island, over a lot of television. And this is his writing and directing debut. And he's since directed at least one other horror movie or thriller, whatever you might call it, called Preservation. And it looks like he's filming one right now called Old Flame. For a first film, it's an interesting choice. It also stars some 
fairly, I mean, when you say famous, you know, it's like people that you see and you kind of recognize, and then you get to their IMDb profile, and you're like, oh, yeah, God, they've been in a thousand things, and I, I guess I have seen them in one way or another. Uh, Adrian Pasdar is mm-hmm. a guy named David Poe, uh, who's the father uh, in this family, and uh, he has a lot of credits from a lot of big things. Uh, Agents of Shield, Supergirl, a lot of Avengers stuff. He was he's done a lot of voice acting for cartoons. So I mean that's that's pretty impressive. And then uh, I think the the person playing the mother, her name is uh, Katie McLean. Again, not a household name by any means, but also has been on. And I've been waiting for you to point this out. <laughs> is currently on, on. Is currently on what? What is she currently on that you could possibly know more than me about? Days of our lives. I'm telling you, <laughs> so many. I mean, it, it makes sense that um, these these actors that pop up in horror movies work their way through soap operas. Because in a lot of ways, horror and soap operas are... It's very similar. They're, they cast beautiful people and put them in melodramatic situations. Um, so I'm not surprised. She's done lots of soap work. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, like every one of them. <laughs> yeah, she's been in tons, and she's been on Days of Our Lives for the past couple of years. I, I was surprised. I don't watch the show anymore. I haven't watched it for years. I And even just – my mom still watches it. She tells me about it sometimes, but um, – even just flipping through, like if it's on, like I'll flip to it for a second. I don't even recognize anybody on it anymore because even though um, the the cast of characters remains pretty consistent, like they introduce new characters fairly regularly, but there are lots of characters that have been on the show for decades. She um, is playing a role that back in the day, I really liked that character, but it was played by um, a different actress. So mm. anyway... She she was kind of the the good girl of Salem. <laughs> I have no idea if she is anymore, but she was the sweet good girl. And Adrian Pastar, I remember him most from Heroes, the TV show, which was like okay. it, which was its first season. It kind of blew everybody away, and then it was one of those sad things where just from the second season on, just continuously went downhill. Um, oh. he was also uh, married to. Natalie Maines, I think, is her name, um, lead singer of the Dixie Chicks. He was married to her oh. for a while, but I think he was naughty and got caught. And they, uh, <laughs> they're, they're not they're not married anymore. But he's super charming in this. Oh God, movie, almost to the point where it starts it to become well, it starts to become a little bit unbelievable until yeah. the last part of the movie where things start to fall apart. Let me point out, by the way, he was a chipper in Top Gun. He was in Near Dark, movies that we've seen. I'm not sure what his character was in Near Dark. I mean, his name was Caleb Colton, but I don't remember enough about the mm-hmm. movie to, to be able to point him out. Carlito's Way. He's a he's a very seasoned actor. There's no question oh, yeah. that he's good and believable in this. And I do think that all of the acting in this film was quite believable and quite good. No problem there. But I get what you're saying about how he's just so charming and so nice that after a while it's like, oh, come on, really. However, in the defense... What I really enjoyed about this found footage movie, and it's called Home Movie because it's an assemblage of the home movies of this family of four people. And there's only one other character 
besides the dog. Yeah. So it's a very, very small cast. The kids barely talk. The dad and the mom do all the talking pretty much through the whole movie. There's a dog, and there's one other minor character who comes in towards the end, who's a kid. What I liked about it was that... We take it for granted now that we have phones in our pockets and we videotape all the time, uh-huh. everywhere we go. This movie seems to come from an era when it was a novelty to have a video camera in your house. It's It was a separate device that you purchased, <laughs> yep. you know? And what did you do? You just, you didn't run around videotape. Most of us didn't run around videotaping everything. It was something you broke out for holidays, special, special events, something the kids do at school or whatever, and that's it. And so what really endeared me to this movie from the beginning is the first scene, except, well, I mean, there's like a quick shot of like some rotting dog decomposing corpse or something. But the next scene is the dad flipping through the settings on the camcorder, trying to select the correct title to display the correct holiday. This is what we get with the movie, is that it's not like they're just videotaping everything that happens in their life. They're pulling out the camcorder for the holidays. And so most of the movie, with a few exceptions, is the footage we see is taking place on a particular holiday. Mm-hmm. Christmas, Valentine's Day. And that was very real to me. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed that bit. And what you just said about the dad being really chipper and quite charming, another thing that endeared this movie to me was that this was played exactly like we were. All right, so you break out the video camera during the holidays, and of course, A, it's the holidays, so everybody's kind of on their best behavior. And then everybody's kind of mugging for the camera and kind of performing for the camera because we don't have cameras shoved in our faces all the time. Mm -hmm. And so the camera is treated as a novelty in the scenes of this film. And people seem to be, the dad and the mom anyway, they're so aware of the camera that they're acting for it, performing for it, and kind of staging the scenes based around the camera. And so I give them a pass for that. I feel like, yeah, this is like how I was when we would flip a camera on in the 80s and, and break it out. We, we'd be a little nice and goofy and, and silly and fun, and we'd only show the good parts, right, right, of our lives. And so it's interesting how the movie's framing device allows for this. It's like you're only seeing the dad and the mom... And the, I, I say the dad and the mom because it's really the way it is because the kids are weird from the beginning. Yeah. But it's it's really the dad and the mom who are just like, break the camera out for the holidays. Here, we're recording this for posterity and see how much fun we're having. And hey, kids, let's do this and let's do that. And hey, you know, do something silly for the camera kind of shtick over and over and over and over again, you know, until things start to get weird. Yeah. And so I, I like that, actually. I thought it was kind of kind of real. Right. Yeah, and I agree with you. You know, the whole aspect of the holiday, of course, especially, you know, parents, you want to try to make it fun and, and, like you said, focus on the positive. The other thing is I really get the impression that especially the dad, both of them, but the, especially the dad, are really, really trying. Like, they're yes. trying <laughs> really hard to be a nice, happy family. That's one of the things that I like about this movie. First of all, I think that it's really well written. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the dialogue. The dialogue does feel very natural at most parts. There are some parts where it feels a little bit forced, and it seems a little bit strange that they're using the camera in such intimate moments. Mm. 
There are times, yes. But the, the dialogue is fine and believable. But when I say written, I just mean that there are so many little things going on in this movie. And I don't... I assume you noticed them too, because I don't think that this is just a second viewing kind of thing, because I saw it so long ago and remembered so little. But there's this consistent imagery that pops up throughout, and it connects and ties into the story. And there's a lot of dragon imagery. I was just going to ask, you're talking about the dragon, right? Yeah. The kids Mm -hmm. wear these, like, oh gosh, I don't even know, is it, it's Japanese... Yeah, yeah, it's Japanese. Dragon masks that they wear uh, sometimes. They also have this stuffed dragon that's kind of like serpentine. It's long. It's cute. It's a toy. But it's just always kind of there. It's weird. Like, <laughs> yeah. why is it always around? Like, sometimes, like, the kid might be, they're, like, they'll be sitting in bed reading a story. And it makes sense that there's... A stuffed animal there with them in bed, that's fine. But then, you know, sometimes the dad will just, you know, hear a noise in the closet or something, and he'll open it up, and that dragon will just be hanging over the the hanging rack. Or they're playing hide-and-seek, and they look for the kids in the basement, and the kids aren't in the spot, but the dragon is. And And the dad also, early in the movie, they have story time, where the dad tells this story, and he does a lot of mugging, but it's for his kids, so it makes sense, and he does a lot of voices, and so he reads this story in a funny voice, and the story's about this dragon who puts on a paper mask to trick all these little kids into believing that that he's one of them, um, and he has to go through all these things to prove, like, he can sing like them and dance like them, and, you know, he does all of these things, and so finally they accept him, and then they're like, okay, it's time for lunch. And with that, the dragon took off his paper bag mask, revealing the two hideous heads. The children started to scream, but their screams were soon swallowed inside the dragon's stomach. was perhaps the most vastly inappropriate fairy tale I've ever heard. Pun? It's an allegory for, you know, don't trust strangers. It all ties into what's going on in their family. Mm. And what's going on in their family is that their kids are freaking weird. Yeah. (laughs) And from the beginning. There is no evolution of this. From the time that we meet them, they are sullen. They are weird. They're not talking. They rarely make eye contact. They don't talk. They never smile. And they just do really weird stuff. And that's the thing that bothered me most about the movie is Mm. 10 minutes into the movie, I'm like, you guys, come on. I get that they're your kids. And you want to maybe look past the fact that they're weird and you hope that by trying to engage them and encourage them to do fun things and stuff and like teach them things and and really go out of your way to try to bond with them, especially the dad, they're just weird and there's clearly something wrong with them. You need to wait, wake up. Come on, mom. You're a, yeah. <laughs> You're a child psychologist. <laughs> or psych- <laughs> you, of all people, you should know. But I do feel like maybe the movie, in a very more, maybe more subtle way than it should have, 
uh, gives a reason for that because the family has just moved to the middle of the woods or whatever. Yeah. What's also kind of nice about this is information is parceled out over time in what I thought were fairly natural ways. Usually dialogue between the mom and the dad that's a little more candid uh-huh. when they're talking about their problems and their past. In the beginning, you know, of course, you don't know what their problems are, if there even are problems. And then and sometimes it felt a little forced. Like maybe some of this should have been parceled out a little earlier on. But generally speaking, it seems like they moved, he moved the family out to the woods, and it was more or less his idea, and it was because they were experiencing some problems, and that was supposed to help solve them. But we don't really know what those issues were. But it has to be something with the kids, because they're kind of talking about the kids in that regard. Yeah, well, little little things are suggested. I do like that. Like, it doesn't just slap you in the face. Like, there's not big moments of exposition and revelation. It's just subtle things. Like, yes, you think that they moved in the hope that things would get better. And so it seems like they've already had some struggles with the kids. But I think that it's also suggested that the dad has struggled with alcoholism. Yeah. And that's something that he's been attempting to work on, and he is working on it. Um, but as the movie goes on, he starts drinking a little more. Like, n- nothing that I would be concerned about necessarily. Like, he drinks a lot on New Year's Eve. Well, okay, who doesn't? <laughs> you know? Right. But if he had struggled with addiction and alcoholism in the past, I can understand why that might be a little bit worrisome for his wife. There's also, it's just very, ca- well, not casually, I guess, but we find out in a very natural way that the dad was abused as a child by his own father. Right. And so the mother says it is incredibly common uh, for abuse to happen generationally. People who have been abused have uh, more of a tendency to abuse. And so there's, there's just these – and they're real family issues. Mm-hmm. But the kids are so weird. <laughs> like well- – <laughs> You're right. The kids are weird from the get-go. And, uh, I mean, there's some things, right? There's, uh, it starts out at Halloween time. And so mom and dad are like, hey, happy Halloween. And they seem like the coolest parents ever. Almost like they're trying too hard. But, you know, they've got like a, one of them has a birthday apparently on Halloween. They both do because they're twins. Oh, that's right. Both of them. And I think that that's relevant that they were born on Halloween. Like, there's mm-hmm. suspicious little things. Anyway, go ahead. No, you're right. No, I, I don't mean to gloss over that. You're right. So they're both born on Halloween. There's this Halloween party, and the the parents are like, hey, happy birthday, slash Halloween, and she's dressed up as the Bride of Frankenstein, and he comes in, and, and the kids are sitting at the table just, like, staring into space, like, completely not interacting, completely doing nothing. They seem very nonplussed about this whole situation. They almost look pissed off as though something happened before the camera started rolling, you know? But then you realize this is just how those kids are all the time. Mm-hmm. And it did kind of make me think, like... Uh, there are, it made me aware that there are spaces between with what we're seeing, right? Yeah. I mean, this camera, what we're seeing is like basically between the holidays and between certain events that happen in their family. But I'm thinking like, so like the kids must talk like at some point or else the parents wouldn't keep going on like this month after month pretending that everything's okay. Or are the parents just in this extreme weird denial situation as well? They film... It's still the fall. It must have been around the Halloween time. They filmed Dad playing catch with uh, with the kid, and the kid's name is Jack. Uh, 
Jack, that's right. And he's dad's, you know, hey, toss me the ball, and Jack kind of throws the ball at him, and then uh, Jack doesn't catch the ball, and then he has, he tosses a ball up in the air and whacks it with his baseball uh, bat, and it flies into the woods, and so the mom has to go in and get the ball from the woods, which is kind of another thing. Uh, they, she runs into this clubhouse where Emily's standing there creepily behind this little fence that the kids have erected with the sign that says, you know, Jack and Emily's clubhouse, nobody else is allowed. No, 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 parents. no parents allowed in. And I thought, yeah, that would last two seconds in my family. Uh-huh. Like somebody's going to go in there and at least check it out at some point. So that was a little weird and it's creepy, right? But then um, we see a little bit more of this toss back and forth and Jack picks up a rock and chucks it at the dad. And he's like, did you just throw a rock at me? And goes after him. And, of course, the camera shuts off. And then uh, the next day, I guess, or later that day or whatever, you know, Dad's got the camera back on. And he's saying, Today, we're going to learn about the ancient art of rigging. Rigging was first discovered by a Chinese mountain task force in 1802. My lovely assistant, Jack Poe, is raking today because he's being punished for throwing a rock at his dad's head. What you got, Jack? A dead bug. This is where we employ the notorious garbage bag technique. And there you have it, kids. That's our lesson for today. Dead things go in trash bags. Which then becomes <laughs> highly significant later on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I'm thinking, yeah, but in between here, surely Jack said something, <laughs> you know, like surely when dad sat him down to talk to him about this, this rock throwing, that there was an actual interaction of some kind and he just didn't stare at him into space. And and that, that from that point, even continuing on, I thought, is it just when the camera is on that the kids are clamming up? Otherwise, it seems like the parents would have been, they would have come to a conclusion a lot sooner that something's really messed up with their kids. Don't you think? You, I don't know. One would think, but I don't get the impression that they're only weird on camera. I get the impression that they're weird all the time, and they do rarely speak at all. Oh, I don't think Emily says a single word until toward the very end of the movie. <laughs> well, there's one point... Jack's the only one who there's one, says something. There's one point where they're in the car, and they're talking to each other... But in gibberish, and the mom doesn't like it, and she's like, I don't like when they do this. It's like they have their own language, which mm-hmm. I understand is, is a twin thing. Right. Not all twins, but it, it happens, so whatever. But I could also understand if your kids never talked, and then the only time they did speak around you, they were doing it in code, that that would be unsettling. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're so... They're, again, it's just uh, special occasions. They're the, the parents' 10th wedding anniversary, and there's a whole goofy conversation between the dad and the wife while she's in the shower and again this is another one of those moments where i don't think that it's necessarily unlikely but it seems i don't know the dad's kind of obsessed with the video camera and that's not unrealistic either because like you said people today just take for granted that we can whip out our video cameras at any time but these were having access to that when we were kids I, my dad was super excited about it and wanted to videotape everything at first. <laughs> I re- <laughs> at first. Yeah, and I remember, um, you know, of course, 
even when we were like teenagers, dads had those nice little handheld camcorders, those little tiny cassette tapes in them. That's great. But I remember when I was a little kid, my dad followed my family around Disney World with a huge ass VCR slung around his shoulder yeah. and a camera the size of like a studio news camera. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The the VHS tape was in the VCR strapped to his shoulder with a big cable leading to the camera uh-huh. itself. I remember those. Gosh. That was um, so I understand the dad's enthusiasm wanting to tape everything. It's new, whatever, that's fine. But they they hear the dog crying outside the kids' room, and they find the kids sleeping together, and they kind of have a very brief conversation about how, you know, they're maybe getting a little bit old for that. And as they're talking, like, the camera pans away from the kids, and then as soon as it pans back, they're just ominously standing there. And this happens yeah. several times. Like, they just will appear right? out of nowhere. Like, in an improbable way, right? Like, it's, it's like, supernatural feeling. Yeah, and, and not impossible necessarily, but improbable, absolutely. And I, I think yeah. Emily, like, stood there and peed herself. I don't know. They turned the camera off very quickly. Then we get the bedtime story. We come to Claire. She does a work video where she talks about treating her children, patients with meds. This camera actually, they they acquired it for her work. They're using it personally also. Well, I, I thought this was kind of interesting and it just framed up the movie for some interesting interpretation in that she is a psychologist. So she is a doctor, child psychologist, it just so happens. And so her approach when things start to get weird with the kids is to look at it very analytically. And she's talking about, you know, like you said, her husband's past and his abuse and all that. He, we learn during their anniversary scene or whatever, is uh, aspiring to be or is, is. a Lutheran pastor. Yeah. His approach to this is, is, you know, it's the whole science versus faith thing. Right, right, right. Where he's all on intuition and something's weird. We just moved out to the woods. Something's bizarre. Um, once he goes up and during one scene, he asks one of the kids. Actually, it happens a couple times. Do you think there's something weird about this house? Uh-huh. Something bad here. Yeah. And so he's taking a very sort of faith-based, like, demons and angels approach to uh, the situation as things get progressively worse, while the mother, eventually the the kids become her patients more or less, and she's talking about just prescribing meds to them and stuff like that. I thought that was an interesting dichotomy. I mean, I, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here by saying this, but this is never really resolved. Mm-mm. What is wrong with the kids? What is driving them to do what they're doing? Is there some evil entity? Are they just completely psychopathic? We never know anything for certain. And I think that's wise. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of real life. And also it's pretty true, I think, to the genre where this is just found footage. Like how could, how probable is it that all the footage that we assemble from someone's random home movies at random times is going to answer all of our questions so neatly. So I, I was actually kind of cool with that. And then it just, this is the kind of movie that leads you in the aftermath to kind of really wonder what's going on here? What did I just see? What is the explanation for it? And multiple explanations are presented to you, but you never get a a neat, tidy answer on any of that. And I like that about the film as well. That was a, I don't know, some people might call it a cop-out, but I think it was well-constructed enough. It was deliberately constructed that way. And so I I actually like that aspect of the film. Yeah, I, I think that it was meant to be intentionally ambiguous, and I like that too. 
However, <laughs> there are just too many things. I mean, it's possible that these kids are just psychopaths, but there are so many things, like the fact that they were born on Halloween and eventually the closet. In the closet, they were born in the closet. I don't remember that. No, <laughs> I'm bringing up. <laughs> um, no, I, what I mean is the the whole thing about the guy in the closet. Right? Oh yeah, they. But I mean, that's they. They say what there's. Well, they just say there's a guy in the closet that hurts them or something. Yeah, there's this. There's it's probably the fir- the first shocking scene that we see, and this well. is when. Well, it's not the first <laughs> thing, but it's when things start to really get real, right? Well. <sighs> There's Thanksgiving. The kids have dressed up like pilgrims. And they're impressed that the son has made his own lunch. Well, they ask him to show what he made, and he opens up this hamburger bun, and it's got the two pet goldfish in it. And, like, yeah. I have in my notes, these kids are so f***ing weird, and the parents just seem, like, not to notice. Like, that's just not a big deal. Like, what? Like, we just deal with that and move on. Yeah, it's so stupid. Well, and then that, that night, at Thanksgiving dinner... When the dad tries to say grace, the kids keep dropping things on the floor. As soon as he starts to say it, and not only do they start dropping things on the floor, but they both reach for the same things and drop them in unison. At the same time. Like they planned it. Like they planned it or like they're psychically connected, one way or the other, because Mm. it's so in sync. Something bothers or offends them or they object to prayer. Uh, which is, yeah. is creepy. <laughs> Good point. And then, uh, again, this all happens over holidays. Then we get Christmas, and they're weird at Christmas. Um, they don't get excited about anything. And then the dad, I think, goes upstairs to fetch something, and he finds their family cat crucified on a cross. Yeah. That is messed up. And at this point, <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, listen. Get rid of that dog right now. <laughs> you need oh, good to point. give You're that like, dog away right away. This is so you, Craig. Save the pets. <laughs> My God, there's something wrong. Get those pets out of there. Well, the, the, okay, like killing the fish, that's gross and, and weird. But crucifying the cat, that is psychotic. Yeah, and that seriously, is psychotic. then there's that dog around, and I just knew, and I was telling Alan about it last night, and I'm like, and. And um, they don't get rid of the dog, and guess what? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty typical for a horror movie. Well, <laughs> I mean, but, you know, my mom, she used to work at a psychiatric facility for pre-adolescence, and uh, she was the head of the pre-ad ward. She was there for, God, 10 or 12 years, and we were constantly reminded, usually at the dinner table of these warning signs, how you know that kids are troubled, that there's something wrong with them. And one of the very first and usually earliest telltale signs is cruelty to animals. Whether they pull wings off of flies or whether they don't, you know, like to smash bugs or, or hurt cats or something like that, that is usually kind of textbook 101, early warning sign that there's something wrong with a kid, even if you see nothing else. So you would think that this mother, who is a child psychologist, like you just said, would earlier on be more disturbed at what's been going down, because this is like the third or fourth time that the kids have shown immense cruelty <laughs> yeah. to animals slash the pets in their in their own home. Yeah, Emily so that, also... That bit is a little... Emily crushes a frog in a vice 
at some point. And then there were little things that, like, I suppose if you were living this life, you wouldn't necessarily think these things were weird. But as an audience member, I'm like, come on. Like, when the dad under, like, the filmmaking does it under the guise of he's, like, a scout leader for his son, so he's teaching him, like, scout things. <laughs> but he teaches him how to pick locks and how to tie knots that can't be untied. You were just asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are weird enough as it is. <laughs> Don't teach them how to Maybe make Maybe teach them how to make fire with a stick or something. I... <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I understand. Sure, okay, those are practical skills, but your kids are also psychotic, so maybe not. Yeah. You just put a frog in a vice, let's not teach you how to, you know, load and, and shoot a firearm. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the mom eventually starts to realize that something's going wrong, and, and this is around Christmas time. I also have it in my notes. There were an inordinate amount of fart jokes in this movie. Isn't that weird? <laughs> right? Why? Why were they so obsessed with fart? I don't the know. Especially? <laughs> Unpack that one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, New Year's Eve, um, mom is nervous about leaving the kids home alone. There's clearly tension uh, building between the parents, and they kind of get into an argument. I don't think that they, well, I don't know if they end up going out or not. She goes out, I mean, he's already drunk, and she's mad about that. So she goes out and smokes a cigarette. I, uh, want, ugh. I want this family to be the family that I thought it would be when I thought about having a family in the first place, because this isn't. It's, I feel like I don't know these people. I'm not really sure why she's still carrying the camera around, but the camera pans and we see dad like seemingly passed out in bed with them, which isn't weird. But what is weird is that they are covered in severe bite marks. Yeah. Um, human bite marks. And the kids say the man in the closet bit them, but the wife is convinced that it was the dad and she decides to leave him and and in the following days valentine's day valentine yeah <laughs> valentine's day they have a big blow-up fight and she says that she's leaving but then things change and and this is yeah. not predictable but it's the logical progression yeah um you know these these kids have been killing and torturing animals what happens next is the logical progression right it's an interesting scene actually i think that dad goes upstairs um emily is in the attic and i got the impression that they moved them up there they separated them yeah and, and put her up there by herself because of what happened at school don't you remember right oh yeah at school yeah what happened at school was that they cornered a kid into the bathroom and they bit him severely, just bit him all over. And so, of course, the mom now realizes, well, the kids did it to themselves uh -huh. and not, you know, clearly the father did not. And so they separated the kids and dad goes upstairs and confronts Emily. And it's, it's you know, the way everything is shot with the kids, 
like you said, they're just creepy as hell, and you're just on the edge of your seat just waiting for all hell to break loose. I right. sort of feel like, you know, because she's facing this open window. The window shade kind of flies up by itself. Yeah, right. The dad says the window shade is down or something, and then it immediately flies up. Explain that. Come on. Right. Yeah, without her making a move. Right? I know. You no, know, the more we talk about it, the more I'm kind of like... The argument for this just being supernatural is pretty pretty strong. Yeah. The dad goes and sits down next to her. Now we can see him, and this is how it is through the whole movie. You know, like dad and mom are kind of the star of the stars of the show, um, and the kids are there, but they're creepy and quiet, and sometimes half hidden, and sometimes you know, and, and and she's facing towards the window, and he's talking to her, and this is where he goes. Look, um, Emily, why did you do that? Is there something about this house? And then she turns her head for the first time, where she's just been staring off into space this whole time, and nods. Yeah, see, and I think that there's something important about the wording, because he says, is there something bad in this house? Mm. And I think that that's relevant. Oh. Because I th- <laughs> like us? Yeah, I think that she could be referring to them. Mm. No, but then she says, the closet, right? I don't remember. I can't remember if she says the closet because she hardly ever speaks or if he says something about the closet because they had earlier blamed the man uh-huh. in the closet oh, and yeah. she nods. Yeah, she asks about or he asks about it, I think. Either way, the closet is brought up and she affirms or says like it's the closet cuz he he talks about angels and demons, you know. Uh-huh. Um are there bad things in this house? She nods. Blah blah blah. Mom comes upstairs, takes the camera away, gives a Rorschach Rorschach, how do you say it? Rorschach, 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 Rorschach test to the boy, which we don't even really get to see. No, because it's fast forwarded through. That's the other thing. You have to wonder who is controlling this. Like, who is controlling what mm. we're seeing? Because there are moments when it gets fast forwarded, moments when it gets rewinded and things are repeated. It's really interesting. And I think that that question is right. answered at the end. But yeah, if that, you. You can see that he's talking to her and telling her things, but we don't get to hear what he says. And when frustratingly, yeah, and when they're done, it it starts playing at normal speed again, and she seems a little perturbed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she does. Now I'm glad you brought this up because I had a huge question about this rewinding and fast forwarding because this happens what maybe half a dozen times, maybe five times in the movie, uh-huh. where there's a bit that plays and it seems kind of insignificant, and then the camera again rewinds to this other spot and replays a line or two from somebody there, and I'll be damned if I could figure out. I mean, I'm, I'm like, there's a reason for this. Mm-hmm. There must be something significant. Why we're supposed to pay close attention to this specific bit or the specific line that was said this one time but i'll be darned yeah i'm not sure i know either right because i don't even remember i like some of the lines they don't seem particularly significant why would either the person watching want to see them over and over again like are they taking some sort of pleasure in seeing them over and over again or do they want us to see them over and over again i'm not that's what i was sure thinking yeah. I, I was thinking it was, I mean, I naturally was thinking it's because of us. and But then I was looking visually, too. You know, I'm thinking, is there something I missed visually in the picture that I'm supposed to catch the second time around? I was looking in the background. I was looking at all the people in there, you know, trying to figure out what it was. I never could. And then I was like, are they just 
screwing with us? You know, are the filmmakers just trying to amp up the creepiness factor by randomly sort of throwing in these bits that are just making us more curious Mm -hmm. and and or aware of the fact that we're watching something that was put together by someone for us Mm -hmm. right 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 and it's effective um this is the point where it really does become the parents trying to handle things in their own specialty the the mom (laughs) decides that she's going to put the kids on medications and she puts them on like antipsychotics i think one of the ones that she mentions is halidol and i know that that is heavy stuff and and she even um, yeah you've been on it for years <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> i prefer just kidding folks <laughs> i prefer my crazy the way it is but uh and and she she tells them that they're going to be on these medications but she also makes a point of saying you must never ever take more than one pill at a time um because it will put you into a waking coma. Well, good. Yeah. Glad they know that now. Right. <laughs> put that right up with the, you know, teaching them lock picking and uh-huh. rope tying. Yep. Um, meanwhile, the dad starts performing an exorcism and it seems like he's trying to exercise the house because yes. he's in the kid's room um, and it's dark and he starts performing the exorcism and that damn dragon is around um, but then in the middle of the exorcism, the children just appear out of nowhere again. Yes. Like it's a can't, like the camera pans away from their bed for a split second and then it pans back and they're there. They're sitting there. This is why I bring up the closet because the dad looks in the closet and he shakes his holy water in the closet. This is my house. These are my children. Leave my fucking children alone. Get the fuck out of my house. And he closes the closet, and he you he turns this latch thing on the closet. And when he pans the camera over towards their beds, when the kids are not there, suddenly he hears a noise. And this all happens within like two seconds. Uh-huh. He pans the camera back over, and the closet is wide open. Mm-hmm. So that's why, I, like I said earlier, I think the closet, I mean, if you're going to try to find a a source for it or whatever. They're talking about the closet. The dragon's hanging in the closet. He just closed the door, pans the camera back over. It's inexplicably open again, and that's where the noise came from. And then, as you said, the camera pans back over, and the kids are both just suddenly sitting there on the bed. But anyway, once they're in there, the dad holds them down and and ties them to the bed, and the mom's, like, beating on the door, and he's continuing with the exorcism. Now, here is where I feel like, how can you deny... Because it, it felt supernatural to me. And then when he's done, he stands up and he tells the mom, it's it's over. Yeah. You know, every, every, it's fine now. But let me just, before we move on from this, let me just say what a heartbreaking scene. What was going through my head is these are two parents at their end of their rope, and they're doing this extreme thing and the kids are obviously distressed the, this i mean if you were just to walk in on what's going on you know the father has tied his kids to the bed he's on top of them he's holding them down they're screaming uh and you know he seems like the crazy one this guy who also has a history of was abused as a child and so you know the mother's already expressed concerns about this so when she walks into the room what's her first thought you know she admits later on in the movie that she doesn't believe in god at all so 
look, I've I've kind of I haven't been there. Don't get me wrong. I haven't been there. My my kid is so far as I can tell not psychotic, but I know as a parent how you feel kind of at the end of your rope. Right. Your kid is just not responding rationally. He's not doing the things he's supposed to do. He's not listening to you. He's not, he's just, you don't understand it. And even even giving allowances to the fact that I know he's a kid, his brain isn't properly developed yet. He doesn't have these XYZ skills and XYZ ability to manage his emotions, blah, 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 blah. You still feel like sometimes like, my God, what I'm supposed to do as a parent is something extreme to shock him, to like, finally teach him like this is not okay mm-hmm. you think this is funny uh you've been doing this off and on for the last three months and we kind of put up with it but no no words are working and so i've got to change tactics and i've got to like do something emotional and visceral and whatever to like get your attention and get it through your brain that what's going on is not cool and then when you do that you step back from it and immediately you, know, you feel a little you guilty feel mm-hmm. and you feel bad. You know, it's just, it's a shitty position that I think probably most parents find themselves in at one point or another. And so somehow, obviously not to this degree, but I could relate to the general idea of the situation these these mother and father had found themselves in, the extreme measures, they're doing what they truly believe in their hearts is necessary in their own ways to deal with it. And from an outside person observing it, it looks crazy. Right. I can also imagine as a parent that you would desperately want not to believe that you're, there was something wrong with your kid. Now, mm. what's going on here, of course, is extreme, but mental illness and behavioral problems are very real things. Yeah. And every psycho killer was somebody's kid. But you would never want to think that about your own kid. And I can imagine why I, – I, I can't imagine being in such denial for so long. But I'm not a parent, so I don't know. What I do know is that the next – the dad says it's over and the next holiday we cut to is Easter. And miraculously – and the mom tells us this through voiceover narration – the kids are fine. They're perfectly normal. All their antisocial, violent, aggressive behavior has been um, eliminated by the medications. Their behavior is, is so good that they've actually been permitted back in school. They've even befriended the kid that they assaulted, and they invited <laughs> him over for Easter for an Easter egg hunt. One, why would this kid's parents allow him to go to their house do they hate him (laughs) secondly these parents are so likable as far as personalities are concerned but they are stupid like you know it's easter and everything's great and the dad's in an easter bunny costume and they leave their kids upstairs with this other kid watching tv the dad goes in and checks on them and the kids are super friendly and everything seems fine and the dad tells each of them separately that he loves them and they both say they love him too and then the mom and dad are downstairs like filling easter eggs or whatever and then it's time for the easter egg hunt so they go to get the kids and the kids aren't in there they've set up nativity figures to look like them sitting there but they're gone and they're out the window they've made a rope out of sheets or something and they're out the window so the dad goes running looking for them 
to their clubhouse. And you just know what What? he's going to find some sort of nightmare, which (laughs) he does. I mean, the first thing he finds is the dog's head on a pike. Like, I told you, get rid of that dog (laughs) with the dog's head on a pike. And then he goes into the clubhouse and there's all these like satanic, violent pictures pasted all around. There's this huge illustration of a two-headed dragon like on this one big wall (laughs) and then he goes into like what looks like the back room of the clubhouse like how big is this clubhouse (laughs) right (laughs) it looks like a little shed at that point but and he finds the kids standing over this poor kid that they had invited over they've got him in a trash bag and they're holding like sharp implements now i don't know if they had actually started torturing these kids or yet not. But then the next scene I felt like was maybe the most heartbreaking, but also mm. the most real when it's just, it cuts away from this horrible scene of violence to just the parents sitting in like kitchen chairs in front of the fireplace. And the dad says against our wishes, because it's Easter Sunday, the Department of Children and Family Services said that we have to maintain custody of the kids until we can have a hearing tomorrow morning. I don't believe that. No. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. <laughs> no. Um, those kids would be in juvie for sure. Some cop is on duty at this point and would have <laughs> would have gladly hauled them off. <laughs> right. But, but they say that they're going to be charged with illegal restraint and attempted murder or something. They're going to be in juvenile hall at least until they're 18 or whatever. And this part is sad because whereas the mom kind of – I think she just is holding it better, uh, holding it together better. Yeah. And I think that she just understands that this has to be the way it is. But the dad, despite everything that's happened, is in mourning as I can only imagine that you would be. You know? Yeah. Like, they're still your kids. He says uh, some very genuine things there. He's, he literally says that. He's like, they're still my son, and I how can I help but love my son? And... My sweet, sweet daughter. It is. It is heartbreaking, and and it does call call into question. Like, like, what were these kids like before this? I don't know year or whatever it was. You know, the point at which they started clamming up and being weird. I mean, there's a whole relationship there building up to this turning point that that we never get to see. Right. I don't know if that's a fault of the movie or not. I mean, I guess it just is what it is. I I, I kind of. Kind of wanted to see that. Yeah, but I kind of, I kind of like that we don't know. I kind of like that uh, it's just unexplained, and we don't know. Have they always been weird? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, again, we know that they moved out there in the hopes that their family dynamic would improve. So hmm. they've clearly been having some issues for a while. But anyway, there's that very sad, heartbreaking moment, and then the camera shuts down, and then it comes back on. And now the kids have the camera, and they're making their own movie, and he is now talking directly to us. Hi, and welcome to the Jack and Emily show. I'm Jack. I'm Emily. Let's have some fun. You're quiet in there. I can't even hear you, but I know you're there. Let's have a staring contest. I dare you to stare until our movie's done. And at this point, I think 
the kids have been in charge of screening this movie for us the whole time. Mm, yeah, that's what I thought too. And this, I mean, it's just, you watch them. It's just, it, it's so dread inducing. Like I was just, you know, it's going to be horrible. And you watch the kids gather nails and a hammer and a baseball bat. And they like set up nails poking up in the lawn. They cut the lights. They cut the phone line. The son picks the lock into the mom and dad's room where they're just laying on top of their comforter, fully clothed, holding one another asleep. Where these dumbass parents with these psychotic kids who've got them for one more night have decided to just fall asleep. Right. I know. (laughs) I would have been up all night, man. I would have been up all night with those psychotic kids. My God. The kids knock them out with the baseball bat, beat the crap out of the dad, tie them up, set them up at the dining room table, and all of this happens very quickly, and it's very brutal. The mom's able to free herself, but she can't call the police because the line's cut. She goes upstairs looking for the baseball bat. They stab her in the arm. They're now wearing their Japanese dragon masks again. (sighs) Somehow the mom gets the camera and the bat back, and the parents are free, and they're they're gonna leave they've got a little overnight bag packed for the kids and this is all happening very quickly but she she looks at the kids and says you are not our children i don't know what you are but then the dad goes to grab something he complains a little bit of a headache and you know just seconds after that he's out of frame but we hear what ends up being him falling and the mom finds him the fire alarm goes off which leads the mom to the stove where she finds all of the kids pills like open and dumped out next to this soup that i guess that they had fed the parents i guess i was a little unclear on that bit and the soup was in front of the parents i didn't see we didn't see them yeah we didn't see them eat it yeah i don't know that's and like why would they but i don't know The mom runs out. I mean, she's drugged now, too, and realizes it. She uh, runs out, and she almost makes it to the road as the ice cream truck is passing, but she passes out. They drag her back to the house in their wagon, and the last thing that we see, the very last scene, and it's so chilling, are the, the kids sitting on either side of the table, each of them holding up a fork and a knife, wearing paper sack masks like the two-headed dragon in the story did and the parents tied up in trash bags on the kitchen table just like thrashing trying to escape then it just cuts out and that's the end yeah huh. uh, it's really dark the, the thing you know talking about it i i really do think it's a well-made movie especially for a first outing as a director i I think that it's good i I do think that it's well written and there's lots of careful attention to imagery and um i think there are a lot of um, suggested motifs and things through the imagery that tie things together i was ultimately left thinking that these kids are evil for for whatever reason i have no idea why but they are evil and this two-headed dragon is a representation of them. Right. The thing yesterday after I was done watching it, the way that I was left feeling was that I thought that it was a well-made movie, but I didn't know how I felt about it because it was so grim and so nihilistic that I just kind of felt nothing. 
Well, no, it, it made me, it, I, it just kind of made me feel dirty. Like, yeah. I kind of wanted to go take a shower. It was just like, ugh. Like, I just wanted to get this off me, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I understand how you feel, and I agree with you about how grim and nihilistic it is and, and the feeling you're supposed to get. I, I think for me, it was, and that made it one note. The yeah. movie starts, the kids are creepy. And they continue to be creepy throughout. They do all the things you expect creepy kid to do. Uh, and, you know, you just know that the parents are going to get it. And they do. And I don't know. I, I just, maybe I think it was the lack of answers that provide any kind of satisfying aha moments or anything like that, that I just felt like I was just watching something go bad that I knew was going to go bad from the very start. And I more or less could have gone bad in, in any number of ways and the way it ended up going bad wasn't particularly i don't know ironic or anything like that you know just i mean yeah the dragon motif you're right that was kind of maybe the thing there but i don't know i i was kind of nonplussed by the movie to be honest yes i it was disturbing but we've seen a lot of disturbing stuff and so i'm kind of numb to that I, I i want a little bit more than just seeing something disturbing play out on the screen and i don't feel like this movie gave me much more than that honestly so i was a little disappointed in that regard in 2008 when found footage films were still more of a novelty i mean remember that's like god that's like 12 years ago mm-hmm so the film probably would have had more of an impact. Since then, I, I've seen so much along these lines done so much better that it would have had a different impact on me then than it did now. So, you know, compared to Blair Witch, I mean, it's it's a way better film if you're going to just compare the genre and the way that they executed it. But compared to anything I've seen since, I was kind of like, eh, okay, I, I probably won't watch this again. I'll probably forget a lot about it later. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know that I would watch. I don't think I would watch it again either. And that's what I was I was saying, you know, usually I try to think about who would like this? Who is this the right movie for? And I, I just don't know. Like, I don't even know yeah. that I would... Recommend it? This, yeah, this. I, it, it certainly wouldn't be even in the... It wouldn't be on the list of movies that I would recommend unless somebody said, I just want something really dark. Oh, okay. There's one of many. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and yeah, and I, I don't want to be too down on it because I don't think that it's a bad movie. I don't think it's poorly made. I think that the acting is pretty strong all around. And I did feel sympathy, genuine sympathy for the parents, even though I thought they made some really foolish decisions. But I think that you could justify those decisions with their love of their kids. In my opinion, I am not trying to give it a negative review. It's just kind of difficult to say, oh, man, yeah, this is a great movie. You got to yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you there. But but thank you so much to Alec for recommending it to us. I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Would have been hard to find otherwise. Good luck finding it, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. <laughs> but there are other films you can watch instead. I, I've been thinking, actually, maybe we ought to do like a creepy kid theme month or something like that. It wouldn't be hard. Yeah, it would be interesting to kind of like uh, compare the different ways this topic is approached and over the years. 
Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share us with a friend. If, like Alec, you want to recommend a movie for us to watch and jabber on about, you can find us online. If you just search Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast, you'll find our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, uh, and our website. Just leave us a message in any one of those spots and uh, tell us the movie you want us to see, and we'll get to it. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah!